Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ben's a weird album, A, because most people call it X, but <laughs> I think we were at a crossroads with that album. We weren't really sure. There was, internally, we were all not in the right, going in the right direction. We had, some, we had some discussions about how we should go. We had suggestions thrown at us that we should work with some outside writers, which I was completely not cool with, because I knew that we were well capable of writing our own. So why would we want to do that? But it turns out it was Marty Fredrickson, who was a pretty damn good guy. And we did one song with this couple of guys in Sweden that had worked with the likes of Britney Spears. And it was like, OK, look, it's an experiment. Let's just go with it. We can always scrap them. We don't have to release them. And it turns out that they weren't that bad. But I was much more of a fan of the, uh, the stuff we did with Marty because we did the song Now, we did a song called Every Day. And they were totally kind of poppy. They were... They reminded me of like us if we wanted, if we'd sat down and said, let's try and be Cheap Trick. That's where these songs were. And they one of my favorite bands of all time. So I was actually okay with that, you know. But I think that the stuff that we wrote on our own has the real flavor of what Def Leppard is. It's obviously polarized people's opinions. And that is better than being gray. I would rather be black or white than gray, you know what I mean? So it's not a standout album. I don't think it's a complete duffer, and it's certainly not hysteria. But there is some cool stuff on it. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hollywood, it's the end of August, which means we're getting into the eighth studio album by Def Leppard, aptly called 10, which, you know, we'll get into all that and discuss uh, why album number eight is called 10. I guess they're counting the vault and uh, some B-sides and things like that. So it's their 10th album as a whole, but their eighth studio album of new songs. So you know the drill. We've gone through every Def Leppard record throughout the course of this year. We're through August now. 
And as always, we got to invite a special guest along for the ride. So on this particular episode, we are inviting none other than Curtis Lenklose from the RetroZest podcast. Curtis, what's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Your show was actually one of the very first podcasts that I ever listened to. So I remember I met you guys for the first time back in, I believe it was 2018 at the Atlanta Kiss Expo. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And then I saw you guys again at, at Rockin' Pod the next year. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany i've always enjoyed listening to your show and you guys were a big inspiration in me starting mine so well i don't know whether to apologize or (laughs) what's the drill here sonny (laughs) i don't know whether we're supposed to apologize for this or not i remember meeting you and your son at rock and pod and i don't know which one that was but i remember that 2019 i think yeah so we're celebrating see nobody realizes because we're going to be the only podcast ever to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the X record. Yeah. Because yeah. it's 2022. Yeah. End of this month, the, as we record this, is when it yeah. was released. Yeah. Now, is that because we're ahead of the game and celebrating it, or is that because no other podcast wants to celebrate the X record? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, was trying to figure, I was trying to figure out the other day, is it appropriate to throw out a CD out of my car window that I've owned for 16 years? <laughs> it just does not have the same panache that it would have if I just bought it, hated it, and threw it out. Can you do that after you owned it 16 years? You're an adult. You can do anything you want. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We don't want to tip our hand too early because, you know, most of the listeners will be like, well, these guys are going to shit on this record and they hate it, so why should we listen to this episode? Now, now, settle down there. (laughs) We might like some of the stuff. And, you know, for all we know, Curtis loves this record and we're shitting all over something he really loves. Curtis, before we get into all of this uh, nonsense with uh, the X record, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Well, I've always been real big on nostalgia. And, you know, I, I mentioned that Grown Up Rock was one of the first podcasts I listened to. The very first podcast I ever listened to was called Stuck in the 80s. And Steve Spears and Brad Williams are the hosts of that show. I actually met Steve and Brad on the 80s cruise back in 2017. And, you know, this was back in 2017 when I started listening to their show. And I I really, really enjoyed it. And from there, I started to listen to other nostalgic podcasts, uh, yours included. And I started a blog in 2018 and I, I came up with the name RetroZest and I started a Facebook page and I just took a couple of years and grew the, the Facebook page and, you know, using the blog. And when the pandemic hit, I decided, okay, now's the time I need to start this podcast because I, I just can't take it anymore. I've, I've listened to all these other shows and I've got to take little bits and pieces that I like from every show and kind of incorporated into my own personality. So to make a long story short, I'm up to 105 episodes. And this isn't always the case, but most of my episodes center around a landmark anniversary of a movie, a TV show, or a music album. And as it pertains to my inspiration from you guys on Growing Up Rock, I listened very carefully to a bunch of the interviews that the two of you conducted. 
And from that, I, I really learned a lot about interviewing guests. So thank you for that. And, and some other podcasts, you know, gave me some tips on that as well. Of course, you know, when I started the podcast, it was basically just a monologue. It was me just sharing random facts about different movies and TV shows and uh, music and whatnot, pop culture. But then starting with episode 16, I interviewed Diane Franklin from the movie Better Off Dead and The Last American Virgin. And since that time, I've interviewed several actors from like 80s movies. And I've, I've actually interviewed Lydia Cornell from Too Close for Comfort, the TV show, uh, Mick McKelly, the keyboardist from Europe, also Doug Johnson, the keyboardist from Loverboy. It's just really, you know, kind of taken off and uh, I've built an audience. I'm not sure that I have an audience as, as large as you guys do, but it's it's growing. Yeah, but once in a while, Sonny's wife or my wife doesn't listen to the podcast, so we don't have any listeners for that week. But usually it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I kid. I mean, it's it takes time. We're like Sonny said, we're in our fifth year. And for whatever reason, this year, the numbers have really kind of escalated. It's steadily grown over the course of the four years before. But this fifth year, things have really sort of started to catch on and escalate. And I can't attribute that to anything in particular. But you know, it is what it is. We do it because we have fun doing it. It's not so much about the listeners or the listenership or how many people are listening, although we want people to listen, right? We don't want to just sit here and do this to nobody because then it's kind of what, what's the point? We could, you know, talk on the phone <laughs> and it would be a whole lot less work doing it that way. But uh, that's awesome, man. Uh, if you're having a good time, I think that's the most important thing, really and truly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it has to be something that that I like, you know, a movie that I like or a TV show that I like. I don't just pick any subject to cover. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, I like a lot from <laughs> from the 80s and from the 70s as well, so. Right. All right, well, that's awesome. When does your podcast drop? What day does it drop? It's once a week. I mean, I was dropping them every Friday, but I I've gotten a little sloppy about <laughs> Okay. About uh, doing them once a week. It, you know, with my work schedule, sometimes I have to kind of shift it around a little bit. But more recently, I've been dropping them on Mondays. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us in this episode. Tell me, what is your history with Def Leppard and the X album in particular? Well, where I come into the picture with Def Leppard is the Pyromania album. At the time, back in 1983, when that album came out, my musical tastes were still developing at that time. I'm, I'm 55 years old. I graduated from high school in 1984 and I was a, you know, a bit of a nerdy kid. Uh, but you know, I, I was into stuff like foreigner and the quiet riot album had just come out the metal health. And I had been listening to that. I actually worked at a, at a Win Dixie and I was working the, uh, night crew one night unloading the truck. And one of the guys, you know, put the, quiet riot tape in and i was like oh that's pretty cool i think i might go get that uh, one of the times i went to my local record store which was turtles records and tapes if you've been in atlanta for any amount of time you remember turtles oh yeah i was in there just kind of perusing the store and you know i was talking to the to the person who was working by the count behind the counter and i said uh you know i'm just kind of looking for some new music in this uh this other guy that was in the store he's that was standing behind me he said well you you got to check this out and he showed me the the pyromania album he picked it up off the display there 
And, uh, you know, of course, I saw the, you know, the target in the building and all that. And I thought the, the cover art was really cool. And since Hysteria, I never bought another Def Leppard album. I think I might have bought uh, one of the greatest hits collections that you mentioned, but I didn't purchase any subsequent albums by them. So where did X come into the picture for you? About six months ago when you asked me to be on the show to review it. <laughs> Is that the actual I, I, first time that you've listened to this record? Absolutely. Okay. Never, never listened to it before that time. Yeah. Okay. Sonny, how about you? What's your history with X in particular? Yeah. After uh, Adrenalize, really, we talked about it before, kind of got off the Def Leppard train a little bit to kind of, I don't know, just kind of disappeared for me. But in 2006, I was going to go see the Def Leppard Journey show that was coming to town. I was going to see him back-to-back nights because, of course, Jeff Scott Soto was singing. So I was like, well, I got to get to the Journey show. So I'm like, I probably need to pick up everything that they've released after, like, Retroactive and maybe catch up on what's going on. (laughs) And so that's when I got it. So I've had it for a long time. But I was trying to familiarize myself with stuff that I had missed because you don't know if Def Leppard's going to do a bunch of those songs because I hadn't seen Leppard. And gosh, 13 years or something like that. So it's like, who knows what they're going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think for me, I know for sure I didn't get the record when it came out. It was long after it was out. I think I went and got it or checked it out. Didn't like what I heard. And that was it. I'm not even sure I ever picked it up, to be honest. I didn't pick it up till more recently, probably within the last two months. I purchased it because... I knew that we had this episode coming up. I knew that we were doing the Def Leppard series this entire year. So I knew I was going to have to familiarize myself with this. And probably for the last month or so, I've been slaved to listening to this, you know, back to back because I really want to be familiar with it. So that's basically my history with this record. So... Let's get into some basic facts about this record, and then we'll go track by track, as we always do. The record has a big X, and it's called 10. A lot of people call it X, but it's actually called 10. Released July 30th of 2002. It was recorded from 2001 to 2002. They recorded it in Joe's Garage, which they've used over and over again in Dublin, Ireland. They really love that place. They also recorded in Polar Studios in Stockholm, Sweden, Rumbo Studios in Los Angeles, California. The length of the record is 4709. The producers are Pete Woodruff, Def Leppard, somebody named Aldeheim, Andreas Carlson and Marty Fredrickson. So I don't know Andreas Carlson or Alderheim. Pete Woodruff has been on the last several Def Leppard records before this. Def Leppard has been producing records, I think, ever since Slang. And then Marty Fredrickson is new to the Def Leppard camp, and Marty Fredrickson has a long resume and has uh, written songs and worked with a lot of people, mostly pop people, over the course of his career. The album cover. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to this album cover. It's a black album cover with a big white X across the front and the Def Leppard font and logo up in the left-hand corner. I would call this record cover extremely lazy. That being said, it's pretty recognizable. It sticks out from across the room because the big white X. What's your thoughts on it, uh, Curtis? Yeah, it's definitely not hypnosis material. Uh, it doesn't look like there was a, uh, really a lot of thought put into it. 
but yeah, it does. It does stand out. X marks the spot. What do you think? Uh, can you see this from across the room there, Pony? Uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting that the X is like painted on with a paintbrush. That's kind of what it looks <laughs> yeah. like, right? Uh-huh. Like it's an artist. I'm more interested in the pictures. Okay, so the back picture, as you can see there, if you don't have it, is pretty mm-hmm. serious. Yeah. Okay, this middle picture <laughs> is straight up Backstreet Boys. <laughs> but joe is still serious for some reason maybe it's the seriousness and the and the fun they it can't all Isn't be that serious. weird right that's so odd yeah it is odd <laughs> and it's like it's almost like that middle picture like joe's like use a picture you already got of me i'm not jumping on nothing you're nuts so it's like transposed in the front of the four guys who were obviously jumping at different times and they collected it together but Joe's like, you're just going to have to use one of the other pictures of me. I'm not jumping up and down. The back with the four guys jumping up and down, the poses that they have is very, and Sonny's not going to know this because he's not a fan, but it's very reminiscent of the Beatles. There's a shit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, talking right. about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I don't know what record it is, but it, it, the poses are- Help, I think, right? I yeah, think help. He, I think yeah, you may be help. correct. Yeah. 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 But it's very reminiscent of that and, you know, that- that wouldn't surprise me. I think they, uh, well, you know, it's interesting and I never put two and two together and we'll get into it as we go through the songs. But to me, this record, there is a lot of Beatle influence on this record in the vocals, mainly the background vocals and the harmonies and some of the, uh, layered texture is very Beatlesque, which is a little bit different because they always kind of went the queen route more so than the Beatles route. But this record in particular has a lot of that flavor on it and we'll get into that. But yeah, this album cover for me, I mean, it's just easy for me to go. Yeah, it's kind of uh, lazy, but like I said, it does sort of pop. And maybe that was the point is to keep it simple, but make it pop from across the room. Of course, the one redeeming quality about it is in those pictures, Phil Collin is, wearing a shirt so yeah <laughs> much to the dismay of many women around the world i'm sure <laughs> i just want to go and punch him in the six-pack you know <laughs> <laughs> why well, right, that's the uh basic facts for this record sunny take it away let's go track by track Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. All right. So it's 2002. If you haven't already given up on Def Leppard as a pyromania, hysteria, high and dry type fan, then you're probably wondering what they're going to sound like. Curtis, they didn't exactly blow me away with this first song because now it's like, really, dude, this is almost as lazy as the album cover. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would never have guessed this was Def Leppard if I had heard it for the first time on the radio with no DJ introduction. You know, that the bass gets some prominence in the opening of the song. I think the second verse has a little bit more of a driving guitar riff, and it sounds a little more like Def Leppard. Now, I don't know who's doing the guitar solo. Is that Phil Collin or is that Vivian? Hard to determine because we don't really know. Yeah, they, they sound kind of alike, don't they? But whoever it is, it sounds like them imitating Alex Lifeson to me for some reason, but it's not a terrible song per se. It's just not a great Def Leppard song. And I'll probably repeat that as we go through the track by track, but that's my take on it.
Stephen, my time in life, you know, I'm getting this in 2006. Of course, I know what Def Leppard sounded like. So I'm listening to boy bands. I'm listening to Disturbed. I'm listening to Godsmack. Of course, Kid Rock's out there with Diamond albums or whatever. So I guess I'm happy that now at least is not rap rock and new metal, if nothing else, I guess. I don't care whether it's 2002, 2006, or 1981. To me, what do we say about the lead-off track from a rock band, at least? I'd like to be kicked in the teeth. To me, this doesn't come close to doing that. It's a sorry kickoff track for me. And actually, for me, it sounds a little like leftover from the slang era. I hate that guitar lick before the course. Oh, the do-do-do-do. Yeah, it's just, it's it's got that sort of Middle Eastern flair a little bit. I don't know, man. You know, and this is, we'll get into this as we go further with the track by tracks, but this is the first album where Def Leppard has really started to uh, have outside songwriters contribute to the record. This um, record even includes one or two songs that wasn't written by anybody in the band, which is interesting to me. And then the other thing that I noticed with this record uh, as we go through each of these tracks is this is the first record where they've sort of divided up the songwriting credits equally amongst the band. So I think that they're at this point in their career where they're like, okay, People are starting to get irritated with the money situation, and we're just going to divide up the songwriting credits across the board. That way, everybody gets an equal share of the publishing, and we can move on about their way. Because that's that's usually what the case is when you're given Rick Allen, the drummer, equal credit as Phil Collin and Joe Elliott and Rick Savage, who, for the most part, have written the bulk of the Def Leppard catalog, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it worked for Van Halen, right? It did yeah. for many years. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Until they took Michael Anthony off. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't love this song. So next we got Unbelievable. And uh, I'll tell you two things here. First of all, it's unbelievable that you would make the second song a ballad. That is risky as hell. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering who Andreas Carlson and Max Martin are, those guys write songs for Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, and NSYNC. So somebody had told these guys, you want a hit record? You better get these guys writing songs for you. And here's where Steven's talking about one of the first songs ever not written by anybody in the band. Your name all tattooed 
Curtis, you, you like this song? Not particularly. I mean, at first I thought it, it's interesting you mentioned Britney Spears and, and those others. Uh, I thought it sounded kind of like a Taylor Swift song, which is funny because Taylor and Def Leppard did a CMT Crossroads episode together. I don't know if you remember that. You know, a lot of the time these rock artists, you know, try to dabble in the country genre. Uh, I think Def Leppard should stay out of that or anything that sounds like that. So, Stephen, I guess at this point, since we're at the second song, we have to assume this is Joe Elliott's new bang zone on the vocal. And we have to assume there's not going to be a lot of guitar solos because you're in the second song. And basically, Joe is singing like he would sing in the bathtub. Sonny, this is a bad start to a rock album. (laughs) The first two tunes in it, this is a bad start to the rock album. Uh, Here's my notes. This is a slower tune that is super AC. And what AC is adult contemporary. And to me, okay, so any semblance of the true Def Leppard that at least that I fell in love with, and I know a lot of my peers fell in love with, is long gone. We know that. We made peace with that a long time ago. But this is a whole nother level of Def Leppard that is literally like adult contemporary Def Leppard. And one of the things I think that's important when we're doing these album reviews is to listen to the records with open ears and criticize or share our feelings, not necessarily on the band that we used to love versus what's being produced out of my speakers today, but is it a good record? And I think, I think a lot of these songs as we go through them are not badly written songs. I think they're decent pop songs. They're just not Def Leppard songs. Exactly. And so to me, this is just, They're trying to get to that adult contemporary chart where they can hit that, you know, 40 to 60 year old people and strike an ear uh, with them. So, you know, it's just it's not a bad song. It's just I don't know. It's not a good rock song. So then we go to the third track. You're so beautiful. And Curtis, super poppy here. Uh, you could almost say there's too many hooks in this song. There's a lot going on in the chorus. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the in the mid-1980s, uh, Huey Lewis in the news sued Ray Parker Jr. You remember that? Over yeah. the song Ghostbusters. Because they claimed it sounded too much like I Want a New Drug. I, I honestly don't hear it. I think that was a bit of a reach. But anyway, by that same logic, I think Def Leppard could have sued One Direction nine years later over what makes you beautiful because that's literally all I could think about when listening to this song. You know, you and you already brought up the the whole boy band thing, and that's what it sounds like to me. And again, not a terrible song, but it's not what I expect from Def Leppard. And then Stephen, you know, just uh, on Joe's voice again, you do you think somebody's told him, "Hey, you're going to be singing until you're like seventy. You better calm down. No more screaming." Or somebody told him, if you want to be on AC or you want to be on top 40, there's no more screamers, dude. Yeah, I mean, listen, he could very much uh, be thinking that when they made this album. And I think Curtis brought up a great point, which is I could see where an album like this would influence what's to come with a band like One Direction. Because we know some of the, you know, we know some of the people in One Direction Harry Styles in particular, they like rock music. They tried to infuse rock music with a lot of the boy band shit. So I could very much see where that would be an influence for me. 
this song, at least it's upbeat, which after the first two songs, I think that's a plus. I think that this song is a decent song. It's just not a Def Leppard song. Again, it's more adult contemporary stuff. And here's the problem. In 2002, if you're trying to get on a playlist and try to influence a radio station director to add you to a playlist, your name can't be Def Leppard. I think that if You're So Beautiful was written by Harry Styles in One Direction, this might have been a hit. You know, you never know. But I just think it, they're fighting an uphill battle in 2002 with this kind of stuff. That's all. And the next track is Every Day. And I was going to say something similar, Curtis, to what Stephen just said. Okay, so Every Day, this is the kind of song that makes the band irresistible. It's written well. Okay, great. But just like Stephen said, like, they're trying to make a radio hit for teenagers. Not yeah. when you're named Def Leppard. Like, it, Black Sabbath couldn't have done it with Rock of Ages. Kiss couldn't do it when they were trying to do Bon Jovi songs. These guys ain't going to be able to do it trying to do Backstreet Boy songs. That's just how it is. Yeah, I mean... My comment on this is that, yeah, Def, at this point, Def Leppard sure is getting, they're, they're sure getting sappy. You know, Joe Elliott at this point is what, 42, 43 years old. You know, it's a breakup song. It's a soft rock breakup song. And maybe this is a delayed response to his divorce from his first wife in 1996. I don't know. But, you know, what's interesting is that Elliott, uh, Joe Elliott met a female crew member on the tour supporting this album and they were married 2004 and he's been with her ever since. But this song is okay. I don't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on the first four or five albums, they never did any love songs. It was basically about women and partying and that kind of thing. But now they're doing a breakup song. <laughs> and of course, bringing on the heartbreak was a, I guess you could technically call that a breakup song, but I'll take that over this song any day. Uh, I disagree. Make love like a man is a love song. Oh uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, there's that. Stephen Curtis has a point, but we've talked about this before. 
just like Curtis said, they're 40, mid 40s, early 40s. They can't be talking about picking up chicks in a bar. Like that's, it's over. Yeah. Look, as we go through this record, here's what I'll say up front. If Def Leppard doesn't do this type of record, I think they're less popular than they are today. And the reason being is us rockers, we represent a very small percentage of their fan base, I think. So yes, did they piss off everybody that loved High and Dry and Pyromania by making an album like this? Yeah, probably so. But for all we know, they're picking up tons of new fans by putting out this kind of music because obviously they've stayed in the forefront for a long time. I mean, they're still playing arenas and stadiums today. And yes, they're still playing mostly hysteria and pyromania. I get it. But it's almost the same path that Bon Jovi took, right? Bon Jovi basically became an adult contemporary band somewhere along the way, probably right around Keep the Faith and and After. And they're still relevant today. You know, we may all hate Bon Jovi nowadays because we want slippery when wet, but you can't deny they're still playing arenas. So I don't know. There's something to it. But for me, every day has a decent course, but it's a boring song. Song number five, we got long, long way to go. So the guys that wrote this, Wayne, Hector, Steve, Robeson, these are the guys that write songs for, who else? One Direction, which that is what it is. And if it wasn't for the Def Leppard big backing vocals, Curtis, the song would be boring as hell. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it's another breakup song. <laughs> Two breakup <laughs> songs in a row. Now, I will say that this probably is the biggest earworm on the album for me, oddly enough. The chorus is pretty catchy, I think, and I found myself kind of singing along to it in my head throughout the week. The intro on this song reminds me a little of the intro on the song to Me Without You from the Sweet and Lynch album, Only to Rise. Sounds a little bit like that. Of course, that was many years later. That was like 2013. It's a catchy song, but again, you know, it's uh, not what you expect from our British friends. 
Steven, it's not a bad song, but Lionel Richie did a, did a cover of it two years after this. Lionel's is better. Sorry. <laughs> I feel differently than the two of you. My notes on this say even more boring, slow. If I was trying to win over older radio listeners, then okay. I don't like this song at all. I think this was the first single, if I'm not mistaken. I, I may be wrong about that, but yeah, this is not a good song to me, for me anyway. <laughs> You can usually pick out the songs that sound like they were written to be on the radio, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we get to song number six. And if you're, all you're doing is reading song titles, four letter word makes you feel like, okay, we got the Def Leppard back. And Curtis, I would tell you, this sounds a little bit like high and dry in Armageddon. It had a baby because it's got that feel a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, this is more like it. It sounds more like Def Leppard. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of an ACDC style riff on the verses. Now, the intro on this song reminds me a little bit. Uh, and I know, I know, you guys are going to love this. That song, "Escalator to Purgatory" from the Dirty Shirley album <laughs> with George Lynch. It sounds like that to me. I kind of dig, you know, the, the little acapella section just before the final chorus. And uh, yeah, I think that you know this is where the album starts to pick up steam. And Stephen, I know you're not a lyric guy. Right. So at the beginning, I'm listening to the song, like, all right, this has got some groove. And then I'm listening. I'm like, wait a second, rewind. Did he just say it's your kiss, K I S S, that I miss? No wonder he's got a higher outside rider. What the fuck is that? (laughs) First of all, Sonny, you and I both know we don't need spelling lessons in our song. So I don't need to know how to spell K I S S, kiss. I don't need to know how to spell love, L O V E. Just stop it. Stop it. That being said, by far, and I'll go ahead and give this away now, by far, my favorite song on this record, bar none. I like this song. Like Curtis says, it uh, has an ACDC flavor. It has a Def Leppard and ACDC flavor. How many four-letter words do you know? I know a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and if the four-letter word isn't love, what is it? Mm-hmm. 
Did you hear him give it away? He gives no. it away. It's very quick. He gives it away. So the four-letter word that he's talking about, I'm assuming, is lust. He mentions it once. Uh, and if you read all the lyrics, that's kind of what it goes with. You know, so I like this song. <laughs> I just don't need spelling bees. That's all. <laughs> all right. So from the spelling bee, we go to the seventh song, Torn to Shreds. Curtis, I'm listening. And I'm like, all right, that chorus is all right. That's okay. Okay. And then the bridge came and I'm like, okay, that was a good bridge. That, you know what? Sometimes Leopard's got it, man. Yeah. The, the opening riff on this one sounds a little bit like the opening of Hysteria, the song Hysteria. I don't know. It sounds a bit grungy to me. You know, it, it's okay. It's the, the, the previous song was much better in my opinion. It's just not all that memorable to me. Yeah. And Steven, I like the song overall, but like Curtis said, it would have been more memorable to me if the verses were better. Like by the time I got to the chorus, I was kind of in, but it, I almost lost faith by the time I got there. Yeah, I agree with both of you. To me, my only notes on this was it was it's just a short pop tune and it's meh to me. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll make note of with this record is, and this is just another indication to me where they really just tried to write, you know, hit songs on this record, honestly, because they've got two songs, three songs, I take it back. They've got, they've got three songs on this record that are less than three minutes long. So Torn to Shreds, Gravity, and Girl Like You are all less than three minutes long. And then they've got a few songs that are right at three minutes. So they're just trying to write a radio hit with this record. Torn to Shreds isn't it. Not for me. Curtis, the next song, eighth track, is Love Don't Lie. This ain't it either. Because to me, you can't keep writing boring songs. Put the Def Leppard backing vocals on it. It's going to make everything okay. Like, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the echo on the opening riff sounds kind of cool. The chord progression on the opening in the chorus sound a bit like the chorus on that Rush song, Virtuality, from Test for Echo. Uh, and the bridge also sounds like something Rush would do. I know that 
makes you really happy, Sonny. Uh, <laughs> that being said, I never thought I would ever make a Rush and Def Leppard comparison, and especially not three times on this album. It's just interesting that that you know Def Leppard decided to go kind of progressive, you know. And Stephen, the crazy part about this song is the best part of the song is the outro solo, which is a thousand percent better than the solo that's in the middle of the song. But they faded out. I'm like, dude, you could have kept that going. That was actually pretty good. So I actually like this song. <laughs> I think the course is good. I think the melody is really good. I really like the breakdown right before the solo where it goes into kind of that uh, uh, like funky groove. You know what I'm talking about? It's it's literally right before the solo. This is one of them I can actually bear. So there you go. So then we get to the ninth track, Gravity. And Curtis, I was thinking, you know, the, our listeners, you know, the, we probably don't have a lot of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys fans, right? But what they think the badness of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys is, times that by a thousand, and that's Gravity. Gravity's so bad, Backstreet Boys would say we wouldn't do it. Hey, now you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go <laughs> play. Yeah, it sounds like they're copying Smash Mouth to me. And of course, that song All-Star came out just three years before Def Leppard 10 was released. Uh, yeah, I don't care for this one. And Stephen, was that Joe like rapping in the chorus? Was he rapping? <laughs> All right. I think I said earlier that Long, Long Way to Go was the first single. I think uh, I was wrong with that. I think Gravity actually was the first single. I think Long, Long Way to Go was a single, but it came after Gravity. Gravity, if I'm not mistaken, was the first song that they released off this record. Here's the thing, listening to it with open ears. I think this is a decent pop tune. One of the things that bothered me as I listened to this song time and time again is I was like... <sighs> This reminds me of something. What does this remind me of? What does this remind me of? I couldn't place it. And I listened to this song a thousand times and I was like, what is this song reminding me of? And today, literally the last day before we record this episode, it hits me. 
are either you guys, and we talked about adult contemporary, are either you guys familiar with a band around this same time? There were adult contemporary band called Blessed Union of Souls. Oh, yeah. Either one of you guys know them? Sonny, you yeah, know them? I do. They yeah, had, they had a huge hit. They had, huge hit. They actually had two or three hits, but you're you're right. They had a huge hit. And one of the songs that was a hit, and I don't know if this was the huge hit, was a song called Leonardo. And this song, the melody uh, and the way that he delivers the cadence is very reminiscent of Leonardo. Now, I didn't listen to Leonardo back to back with this song, which is something that I want to go do, but that's what it reminds me of. get to the 10th track cry okay one of the heavier songs you got a little bit of a guitar riff but if any Def Leppard member says they're proud of this song they should be punched in the head Curtis let me guess you love this song it's okay it's a nice little rocker sounds a little bit proggy that chorus is irritating as hell though cry yeah. the demons that oh, you hide <laughs> I mean, come on so bad and and the guitar solo isn't all that imaginative either. It's just a few licks using a slide. And uh, so a huge meh from me. Here comes a flood. Can you feel the love? 
so Stephen, when obviously I knew that other people had wrote songs, right? So I'm looking through my CD and I'm like, okay, this has to be written by somebody else. But lo and behold, nope. The guys who wrote Pyromania wrote this pile of crap. I have two notes on this song. Hate the course dash meh. <laughs> so that that's my feeling on cry. <laughs> All right. So we go from cry to girl like you. We're almost done with this album. Got a couple of songs left. And Curtis, the verse had promise. The pre-chorus was good. And then we got to the chorus. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is almost as bad as Cry. Yeah, yeah. Th- this one's another skipper for me. There, I don't know what it is. There's too many nuances on this particular song. And the guitar solo is rather truncated. It sounds like he's using a, whoever it is, whether it's Colin or Campbell, he's using a slide again along with a wah-wah pedal. Yeah, I just think that those two guys... Phil Collin and Vivian Campbell are extremely unused on this album. I, I don't get it. I just really don't. Boy meets girl in primal life. Blinded by big city lights. I'm on fire and you're the flame. You inspire the road I take. You take me to a better place. You're the sun and I'm the Yeah, and Stephen, uh, I thought the start had a little funk to it, but it just didn't stick there. My notes on this song is I like it. One of you mentioned it, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which one, but you alluded to there's too many effects on the course in the background vocals. Like it's yes. it's confusing the sound of what's going on, but I actually think if they would have cleaned that up a little bit, I think it would have been good because I don't hate this song. I actually think it's okay. All right. So second to last track, we get a ballad. Let me be the one. And Curtis, you know, it's a good ballad. It didn't come off super special to me, but I've also not heard it 5 million times. Like I've heard love bites. Yeah. You know, you guys mentioned uh, the Beatles earlier and, and there's obviously some Beatle influence on this with the opening line, something in the way you move. You know, there's a nice string arrangement on it. I, I, I kind of like it, but again, very uncharacteristic for Def Leppard. But it it's it's a decent song. Something in the way you move lets me get too close to you. I tremble when I look at your face. And I want all the world to see Tonight the world belongs to me Touch me with your animal grace Put your hand on my heart
Stephen, there's supposedly a piano version out there somewhere. I've, I tried to look for it. I couldn't find it. But my guess is just a piano and Joe, this song probably would go off pretty good. Maybe, but I hate this song. <laughs> it's very meh. To me, there's no great hooks in this song or memorable melodies for me. I do not like this song at all. The best thing about this song is that it's three minutes and 29 seconds. so then after we've been wild for 12 tracks we get to track number 13 the last track on the album called scar Uh, a little bit darker a little bit edgier and curtis i thought this might be one of the best choruses on the cd yeah yeah once again i'm gonna say this is more like it a little bit return to form this song actually sounds like it could have been released on the hysteria album in fact, uh, and, you know, of course, this came up on a different song, but the riff on the verses on this song sounds like the main riff on Hysteria, the song. By far, this is my favorite guitar solo on the album. It's the longest and most imaginative one in my estimation. And the gained vocal chant on the chorus is a little reminiscent of the one on Animal, which is also from the Hysteria album. Uh, you know, the all that you are, all that you be- all you believe, all that you take, that kind of thing. I'm not sure that this was a good album closer, though. Uh, I think that uh, one of the bonus tracks on the on the Japanese release was uh, would have been a better closer, but I mean it is what it is. It's it, it's a good Def Leppard song. At at least we can say that about it.
and Steven, you get the Middle Eastern feel in the guitar lick again. They did it in Now, they did it in Scar, the opener and the closer. On purpose or just dumb luck? I don't know, man. Ever since Slang, they I think they have, I think that's Phil Collins more than anything. He just has that influence. For me, I like this song a lot. I think the melody is great. I think the course and the pre-course are really good, really strong. And the break going into the solo, to me, feels super old school leopard. Like I'm talking first two albums. To me, this is a surprise sleeper song on this record. And it's the last song on this record. But I think this is a really strong song given the rest of the record. All right, so that's the full record. We're going to get favorite two, least favorite two from each of you. I'll start. Bottom two for me, Cry and Grow Like You. That was easy. Uh, two of the worst possible Def Leppard songs possibly ever. The two that I like the best, four-letter word, because it felt more like Def Leppard. And I actually liked the ballad, Unbelievable. I thought it was a good song. I think Backstreet Boys would have killed it, but I thought it was well-written. Curtis, favorite two and least favorite two. Favorite two have to be four-letter word and Scar just because they sound the most like Def Leppard to me. My two least favorite, I'd have to go with Torn to Shreds and Gravity. And Stephen, how about you? Uh, my favorite two was pretty easy. Four-letter word and scar, definitely my favorite two on this record. Least favorite, that was a tough one because there's a lot of least favorites on this record. But honestly, the ones that irritate me most is Let Me Be the One and Cry. Wow. All right. So before we wrap up the Def Leppard talk, let's connect it to Kiss. You wanted the best and you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So it's 2002. What's happening with KISS? Well, Kissery tells us that the farewell tour ended in 2001. So supposedly they're done. But then in February 2002, with Singer on drums and Fraley on guitar, they performed during the closing ceremony of the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. They also did a couple of private shows with Tommy being the space band because Ace wasn't uh, on contract anymore. So Ace goes back to his solo career. He played guitar on two songs by Richie Scarlett called Johnny's in Love and Too Far Gone. And both of you should thank your lucky stars. I didn't make you listen to those two songs because those two songs are worse than any <laughs> Def Leppard song we just heard. <laughs> he also played on Anton Figg's solo album that came out in 2002. That solo album is called Figments, and that song is called Nowhere You Go. That song's not great either. So then I started looking for, well, did Ace play live? He played one live show. It was Eddie Trunk's birthday party. The set list, Rip It Out, Parasite, Strange Ways, She a medley of Rocket Ride, Snowblind, and Hard Times, then did Lover All I Can for some reason, Shock Me, New York Groove, Cold Gin, Deuce. And the song in the middle of the set is what you're going to hear from Psycho Circus. Here is Into the Void.
actually like this song. Uh, I know Psycho Circus as a whole record gets a lot of grief from people. I think they're just disappointed with what was revealed on this record, but this record has some good stuff on it for me. Yeah, Curtis, and Into the Void works. I mean, it's Ace, right? Yeah, yeah. I, hey, I love me some Ace. Uh, favorite member of the original Kiss lineup for me. Uh, any Kiss song about space featuring the Spaceman is cool. And as I understand it, famously, this is the only song on Psycho Circus on which all four band members are performing, <laughs> are actually performing the song. And it's the only one on, on which Peter Chris performs. Uh, yeah, and I love the, the main driving riff, and Ace's solo is is nice, as always. And Sonny, I believe you've described his solos as sloppalicious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he's just something about the, the, the way that he does those solos. And I'd have to say that this song and the title track are my favorite songs from that record. Yeah. I call it Sopalicious because I think what happens is one is he is barely on the beat. He is on the backside of the beat when he's playing. That's one. Yep. Second, I think not only is he hitting the strings with his guitar pick, 
but all of his bracelets are also hitting all the strings. And then all of his rings are also hitting the strings. I think he just got too much shit on and he's sloppy as it is. So he's just a big bowl of slop that somehow works. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there you go. Def Leppard X, not one of my favorites by any means. I will listen to four letter word. And that will be in my regular rotation because I really like that song. And even Scar, I would put in my regular rotation. I got to be in the mood to listen to the ballads probably. But as a whole, Stephen, it's not like I feel like I missed something the last 16 years by any means. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same exact way. I mean, right now, and when we get to the end of the year, we'll rank all the Def Leppard records that we've reviewed as we did with the Van Halen last year. But for me... It's a cross between X and slang just being records that I don't go to almost never. But I mean, a song like Four Letter Letter Word and now Scar. Scar was one I kind of forgotten about, to be honest. Four Letter Word uh, had been on a few playlists before, but those would probably be about the only two songs that I could see showing up. Overall, like I said, I think there's some good songs on it. They're just not Def Leppard songs. Uh, If you put somebody else's name on this record, you know, who knows what could have happened. But uh, it's just not a record I return to often and most likely ever. (laughs) So, So, Curtis, what I'm thinking is the next time somebody asked Joe Elliott, why aren't you playing deep tracks? He should ask that person, did you ever hear X? You sure you want me to play deep tracks? <laughs> yeah, I, I, on a scale of one to five, I, I'd probably give this album uh, a two point five. It's very poppy. Most of the time, it sounds like a Joe Elliott solo album, and that's a Joe Elliott who's influenced by One Direction, Smash Mouth, and <laughs> Backstreet Boys. <laughs> but uh, just just out of curiosity, do they play? Have they ever played any of these songs live since that tour? I was just going to get to that uh, because Sonny just sort of alluded to it before uh, his question to you. And Curtis, that is a perfect segue. To me, that tells the whole story because I have a note in here that says, do they play anything from this album live today? And my answer is nope. And that should tell you everything you need to know. To my knowledge, they don't play anything from this record and haven't played anything from this record. And who knows how long, probably not since the album was released. Even when the album was released, well, I didn't see him on that tour, but by the time they're playing 2006, they're co-headlining with journey. They're not playing these songs. There's no way they got to keep up with journey. These songs can't keep up with journey. No. And when they do those, when they do those package tours like that and the co-headlining things, all they're doing uh, which is basically they became uh, nothing but a hit band anyway at that point. So they're only playing uh, Hysteria and, and uh, Pyromania for the most part. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it, look, it's a good episode. It's another Def Leppard record in the books. Probably like we I had s- to do it. Yeah, that's right. We had to do it. <laughs> and like I said, I think the commentary on these later records is the more intriguing commentary. It's funner for me as a listener because we basically know what we're getting with the pyromanias and hysterias and all that stuff. I have to go back and really seriously listen to these records because I'm not that familiar with these records. I said it at the beginning, which is I remember not liking this record the first time I listened to it when I first got it and listening to it all these years later, 
okay, I stand by the fact that I don't really like this record. However, with new ears, I think that there are some well-crafted pop songs on this record. I just don't view it as a Def Leppard record. And it's not in my wheelhouse of rock and roll where I would go back and listen to it anyway, even if they are well-crafted songs. So let's close this one out. Let's put a stake in this one. Curtis, once again, plug your podcast. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, just simply search for Retrozest, R-E-T-R-O-Z-E-S-T on your favorite podcast directory, and, and please subscribe. Also, you can go to RetroZest.com, where you can not only listen to episodes of the show, but you can also view my blog. Uh, there's a great blog post I did about Rock and Pod 2019 on there and how I was reunited with the two of you. Uh, that year and how my son Christian was blessed immensely by Sonny at that, uh, at that particular rock and pod. He and I will be eternally grateful for that Sonny. So thank you so much for that guitar. That was really nice of you. And as I said, on the website, you can also listen to episodes of the show as well as subscribe uh, using the links that are provided. And also I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. <laughs> Believe it or not, I am on TikTok at zest retro. So just the same thing, just backwards. And I'm on Twitter is RetroZest. So be sure and check me out on all the social media platforms because I typically post different content on each. Awesome. I'm going over to TikTok now to see if you're doing that floss dance that the kids do today. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. <laughs> well, there you go. Missed that, missed that train too, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sonny, do you have anything to add before we get up on out of here for this uh, month's uh, Def Leppard episode? No, Curtis, thanks for joining us. Uh, good to see you again. Um, enjoy your podcast, so that's cool. And uh, no, uh, just want to thank the listeners for listening and putting up with Def Leppard when it's not great. Yeah, and we've still got a few not great Def Leppards in the can, but uh, hey, we'll get through it for the rest of the year. We enjoy doing these. You guys sound like you enjoy listening to them, so we're going to keep on doing it. Thanks for everything that you do, Sonny. Thanks for uh, special guesting, Curtis. And thanks for the listeners listening in, tuning in, and cranking it up. We will talk to you guys next week. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.